Please open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Our series titled Christmas in the Heartland. Where we live, where we are, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. It is Christmas right here in our heartland. And you know, there are many around us in our heartland who have never heard the message clearly about Jesus and We have not told them as we should. God help us to reach out with the message of Christmas in the heartland because there are people who are out there who need the message so desperately whose lives could be dramatically changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their lives may be nothing. They may totally be in ruin. They may be going down the wrong road. But Jesus can change all of that. He does change all of that. He has for us and he has for many. And he did for a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus that we read about here in Acts chapter 9. And what we learn about him is that his life was not in order, although from a material standpoint and from an egotistical standpoint, he had everything going his way. To look at him, you would think he had life all figured out. He had everything he would ever need, ever want, and yet he was lacking so much. And it was the gospel of Jesus Christ This Jesus, whose birth we are celebrating, that made all of the difference in the world for him. One of the most dramatic changes that we find throughout the Bible. We find it in the life of Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. We're going to be focusing on this man throughout the message today. Because it is important that we see the kind of life change that he experienced. As we think about Christmas, we're thinking about all of the uh, external things that we see, all of the decorations. We're even thinking about Jesus lying in a manger. And sometimes we don't really focus on the impact that Jesus made on the earth and the way that he is able to change hearts and to change lives. And today I want us to be sure and focus on that and to see and to understand exactly what is going on here with Saul of Tarsus, to look at his life, kind of feel a lot of the things that he was feeling, and see where God took him. And of course we know that he uh, was very extreme in his service to God uh, after this. So we're going to look at a few things. First of all, we want to look at his conviction. I think when we think about him being convicted of his sin and understanding that he was a sinner and that he really needed God, 
Uh, it's real obvious as we look at these verses and even previously as we see him introduced in uh, chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen. And so we're looking at Paul. He had witnessed the death of Stephen. He had even consented unto the death of Stephen. He gave the nod. And he was standing there watching as Stephen, who was doing nothing more than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, was stoned to death by those who, uh, who hated the message, by those who were threatened by and intimidated by the message that he was preaching. When we get to chapter 9, it's believed that we're about a year beyond the stoning of Stephen. So if you'll think about that, you'll find that Saul had been reliving that event. I'm sure that when he laid his head on his bed at night, the words of Stephen were going through his mind. When he laid his head down and he closed his eyes, the image of Stephen being slaughtered and the words where he said, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And the words that said, do not lay this sin to their charge. I'm sure all of those words were going through his mind. It wasn't as if all of a sudden uh, Saul was introduced to Jesus. He had been hearing about him. What we read here in verse 1 is that he was breathing threats and murder against who? Against believers. All of those who were members of the church on the way. The church of the way that he described here. Uh, the church at Jerusalem. And everyone who named the name of Jesus Christ. And so he continued his persecution. Even with all of this going on, even with his memory and having heard the gospel and having known that that's why Stephen died and the only reason Stephen died. And what was he doing? Well, he was going from house to house, pulling people out of their homes, binding them up taking them to prison. And if, if they rebelled, revolted against him and what he was doing, their lives were taken. So every time he went to someone's house, when he went to them and he, and he tried to tell them, you know, you're going to prison, uh, we're going to take you now because of your stand for Jesus, he had to face people who knew the Lord and who loved God. And I wonder how many times he was reminded again and again and again of the love of Jesus Christ and the graciousness of God's people and the care and the concern of those who loved the Lord. He saw families ripped apart. I'm sure children crying for their parents. And there was a lot of emotion going on with Saul during this time. So for all of this year, a lot was going on in his life, but he had to decide something because he was a Jew, he was a Pharisee, he was a Sanhedrin, which was 
uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, which was uh, similar to uh, what we would understand the mafia to be here in America and other places in the world. A very tight-knit group who had a, a, an agenda that basically at that time in history centered around money. And here we're looking at Paul who was all of that, Saul rather, and then him being confronted with Christianity. He had to do one or the other. There's no way you could do both. And that's still true today. You know, you cannot have this world and have Christ. No man can serve two masters. Jesus said it himself. You can't straddle the fence, but we sure do try, don't we? You know, we want to dabble in the world and have all of the things the world has to offer and live like the world, and yet we want the benefits of being a Christian. And Saul realized he couldn't have both. He realized that his world, uh, you know, he either had to denounce Christ, Christianity, and haul these people to prison and kill them if necessary. Or he had to forget all of that and go with Jesus. It was weighing on him. It was weighing on him. It was continually with him. He knew he was guilty. He was so guilty. He was tormented by his conviction. I think he had had a miserable year. Now, that's just my personal opinion. From all that he had experienced, I really think he had had a miserable year. And then the events that are listed here in Acts chapter 9 began to unfold as he was on his way to Damascus. And that is why it was no real shock in the sense that this is the first time I've ever heard this when this light shined about him. But something that we need to understand and learn from this is that the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us. The Bible tells us that, that that's one of the things that he has, that he does in the lives of people. He convicts us. He shows us our error. And when he shows us our error, there are two options that we have. We can repent and accept Christ as our Savior, or we can rebel and reject Christ. Just like Saul had those options before him, he could do one or the other, and today we have those same options. If you're without Christ today, I want you to understand that you have been given opportunity time and again. You know, chances are you have heard the gospel might have been six months ago. It might have been a year ago. It might have been ten years ago. Over and over, you hear it. Every time you see a believer, you think about it. Every time you come to church, it's on your mind. You're stirred as a result of it. And I just need you to understand today that you, know, you, you can't have both. Jesus is calling you to Him. His Spirit is convicting you. He is showing you the way. And today, you need to respond to Him. You can't have both. Then let's notice His conversion. We understand here that uh, it was a very dramatic event in His life. 
And it was so dramatic that those who were with him uh, were totally uh, uh, bum-fuzzled as a result of what had happened. They, they didn't really get it. They saw the light, and they, they didn't hear a voice. They didn't know what was going on. Uh, but Saul knew exactly what was going on. Verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him and stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So he was approached by Jesus on the road to Damascus, doing his business, doing what he had been doing, persecuting Christians, taking them to prison. And all of a sudden, the light shone around him, and the words came to him, Why are you persecuting me? You know, uh, it wasn't that... He, he thought he was just persecuting people. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? You know, when we do something good to someone else, Jesus said, it's as if you have done it unto me. When we do something bad to someone else, it's the same. It's as if we have done it unto him. And that was true of Saul. Saul was persecuting Jesus. Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And for those of you who have driven oxen or plowed with them, you understand the goad. How many of you have done that? Not many of you. None of you, actually. I haven't either. But just from reading about that and studying that, it was a prodding stick, basically, that they used to keep the oxen in line and keep them moving. And it was pointed on the end. And so he is saying to Saul, you are kicking against the goad. That has to be very painful. Again, which makes me believe that this was something that was happening to him over and over during this last year. He had been experiencing heartache. He had been doing things that were against God. He had been understanding that he himself was not doing... He wasn't settled in his heart. It was painful for him, even though he was doing what he felt like he ought to be doing. And so it was just conviction continually throughout this process. So he said, and he was trembling, and again, he's putting all of this together because he said, Who are you, Lord? Which brings me to believe that he really, in the back of his mind, knew who was talking to him. And then Jesus said, I am Jesus, I am Jesus. Trembling, Saul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? 
We find in his life total submission. We find that all of the old now is past and there is a new life ahead of him. And he is now willing to follow the Lord, willing to do exactly what God wanted him to do. And he yielded to the will of God. He yielded to God's will, wanting to do exactly what God wanted him to do, and he followed God. You will find that as you read through the chapter. He did exactly what God had asked him to do. But as we look at his life, we find that not only was he converted in his heart, not only did he have a heart change, but he had a life change. And you see that in his commitment in verse 10. Now, there were certain disciples, a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now here Ananias is, a good Christian, a follower of Jesus, and he is hearing from God, and God is saying, Okay, Ananias, I need you to go to this house and find Saul of Tarsus. I think probably all Christians were afraid of Saul of Tarsus. It's indicated here by his response. Basically, he didn't want to have anything to do with that. You know, because Saul of Tarsus was the man who had been killing Christians. He said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias felt like, you know, this is a trap. And he is basically talking back to the Lord, questioning whether or not he should go. In verse 17 it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. And he, he, he came to Saul. And the first thing I see there is, and he, he said, Brother Saul. He had obviously been convinced already that Saul had a life change. He called him his brother. That's a good way uh, to address people. He came to him. He received his sight at once, it says, and he arose and was baptized. Then he ate, food was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So Ananias coming to Saul was uh, really a feat of courage, total dependence upon God, and allowing God to use him to affect the life of Saul. But for Saul to submit to baptism, which he did, was his formal announcement of his willingness to follow Christ. 
and cut ties with the past. He'd already dealt with it in his heart. He'd already responded. He'd already been saved. But now he is formally coming out saying, I now am a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know if we really grasp the significance of that or understand the magnitude of what Saul did that day when he came out and said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. No longer was he a follower of his old ways. No longer was he a terrorist and a threat to all Christians. No longer was he going to live the way he had lived all of those years. No longer was he even going to straddle the fence and try to decide which way was the best way. But he had finally came to a place in his life where he wanted everyone to know who he was numbered with. He didn't want it to be vague. He didn't want people to wonder about him any longer. And he was willing to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It was a dangerous thing for him. Which you find very quickly how dangerous it was for his life. As I said, the mentality of the uh, Sanhedrin was similar to the mentality of the mafia. I mean, they were going to be after him because he, who was once a persecutor, would now be persecuted by those people. It was dangerous. And yet he, he went all the way. You know what I felt from studying this and thinking about this? I felt that beginning with me, we're all wimps. That's what I feel. We have given up nothing. We have risked nothing. We're blessed to live in America where we can worship God freely. But we've not given up anything. I look at Saul and I see his whole life change. And we're just a bunch of wimps. And you know, Christians in third world countries today, they think that too. American Christians are wimps. And you know what else? Missionaries, American missionaries who go abroad and serve and have tough conditions and they're with people who are starving and struggling just to exist, come back to the system that we have established in America that we call a church, and they're totally turned off by it. Because we don't have a clue. We we don't have a clue. Uh, Saul gave it up, I'm telling you. He knew that what he was doing was going to create more and more problems for him. No longer would he have the life of ease and be highly regarded and respected. No longer would he be noticed as someone in the community. Now he is a threat to those around him. And a target. 
So if we choose to follow Christ, it costs nothing, it seems, and, and we risk nothing. And uh, maybe we need to step up our commitment to Christ. Maybe we need to learn somehow, some way, what it means to live sacrificially, to give till it hurts, to go above and beyond the norm. Because we're, we're just enjoying the ride. The ride that many have died to offer to us. We need to step it up. Then we see his calling. And he truly had a calling. It is spoken of in verse 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Again, the word suffer. God said, I'm going to show him what he must suffer for my name's sake. I don't think that Saul went into it not knowing that it was going to cost him and not knowing that it was a risk. He understood fully. But God had a plan for his life main thing. Saul knew that. And he just knew his life has changed. And here's what he did. He wasted no time in fulfilling his calling. He started right then. It's good advice. We need to do what God has called us to do. We need to be about the master's business. Verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Way different than what he believed before or would have ever said. Now he is going in the synagogues, the place where he would have normally went to worship, as a Jew, and now he is saying, Jesus is the Son of God. Don't waste any time serving God. Get, get to it. Do what God has called you to do. Go in the doors that God has opened. We also look at his life, and we see that God took him away for three years to prepare him for the ministry that he had for him to do. But I'm saying immediately, he knew what his God wanted him to do. He was eager and ready to do that. Threats on his life and doubts about his calling did not stop him from doing what God had called him to do. They plotted against him. They planned to kill him, planned to destroy him. The Jews did. You notice that in verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. 
I mean, the disciples helped him escape. But that was there hanging over his head. That didn't stop him. To know or to think that the world is against us doing what God has called us to do should fuel the fire. It shouldn't stop us. It shouldn't cause us to doubt or to waver or to wonder whether or not we're doing the right thing. Because when God calls us and God sends us on a mission, we already need to know that the world is going to be against us. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. If the world wants to throw a stumbling block in front of you doing the right thing. Always seek to do the right thing, the God thing, the thing that God has put in your life. Always choose that. Because the end results will be far better than anything that you could have ever accomplished for yourself. And we see here that it had good results. Verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. They were built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now there's a word here that I want you to look at. It's the word... Churches, plural. You know, we weren't talking about a church. We were talking about the church in Jerusalem in a particular location. That was the first church, the early church. That's where it all started. And that's where the persecution began. And what we see now is that because of the persecution, families were dispersed into the entire region in all of these places. I mean, this was before... Before the Apostle Paul's ministry and before he ever went on the mission field, so to speak. And we already have churches. Why? Because people went everywhere and they started churches, plural. And that's something that we need to understand. A church, a church is a local called out assembly of baptized believers who have agreed together to carry out the commission and the commandment, the great commandment of the Lord. And so these were springing up everywhere. And they were doing exactly that and teaching the apostles' doctrine and what they had been taught. And it was good. The one who had been leading the persecution now had joined the ranks of those who were moving forward to change the world. It comes right down to this. In our heartland, we are in the heart of Texarkana. In our heartland, beginning right here in our Jerusalem and extending beyond this region, There are people whose lives being changed by the gospel can change the world. There could be someone a block from here. Some cynical, hateful, 
ungodly person. That with a seed planted and watered and cultivated could experience a dramatic life change and become the man or the woman that changes many hearts. Now, you might doubt that. You might wonder if that could even be a possibility. And I tell you, when you look at Saul and you understand where he came from, who he was, and where he ended up, you cannot deny that God, the Holy Spirit, was working in his heart and life. And the Holy Spirit is not dead. And the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And it stands to reason that we are surrounded by people who are without Jesus. And if we do not reach out to them with the gospel, we are failing them miserably and their family and their families to come. God help us to reach out. And win one or a hundred to change the heartland, to change our city, to change our world for Christ. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take people who know they've been changed by the blood of Jesus. It, it, it's going to take people who, who understand and have made the commitment and know that God has put it in their heart to be involved in such a, an intense and, and dramatic effort. And to just do it. Because somebody is waiting. I don't know them yet. I hope before long I know who that person was. But somebody's waiting. Let's pray together. Father, you love us and you reach down to us. We didn't deserve that. We, we don't deserve all the goodness you've given to us. And we are so, so lazy and such wimps and we haven't given up anything we only get from you. Teach us to sacrifice. Teach us to, to make an impact in the lives of other people. Teach us to pay the price, whatever it is, and help us that we might be instruments in your hands. We pray that you'll prepare the heart or the hearts of those who are just waiting to hear the gospel that you will convict them and that at some point they will surrender their lives to you and impact their own world. If there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus, it's our heart's desire that they will align themselves with him today. Thank you again for loving us. Over the privilege of serving, we pray in Jesus' name.
Would you please stand?